I'm Will Laviste. And I'm Eric Claville. And you tune into Laviste and Claville, where we tell it like it is from a black male perspective. So let's get right to it. Today's show, Black Congress members and gun safety. You know, with this recent insurrection that happened on January 6th, 2021, I mean, a day that will live in infamy, um, it has raised the level of concern, consciousness to an even higher level than it was before when you look at African-American people in this country, injustice and how our lives have not mattered. You know, something that launched the entire Black Lives Matter movement that is now a global movement. So now to see this insurrection happen at the Capitol, at the center of the nation's democracy, has raised the concern that, look, these are not just fringe groups, people talking on the Internet and making threats, idle threats. These are folks who are actually truly ready for some type of revolution. So it's raised the concern of Black congressmen in particular and Black people in the community in general about gun safety and how to be safe and how to protect themselves. So I noted that, Eric, that there's been, you know, some specific statements that have come out concerning black congressmen and this whole issue. Yeah, you you know, Will, you know, guns in America uh, go hand in hand because the old adage is, you know, Smith & Wesson, the Code 45, it won the West. But the conversation around guns is we really never had it and the influence of guns in what we call European colonialism. You know, it wasn't until, you know, Europeans repurposed gunpowder that they received from from China and used it in weapons to fight against uh, Moors in Southern Europe uh, that were fighting with with crossbows to push them out of South uh, Europe back into Northern Africa. Because if you know, the Moors of the Northern Africans actually ruled Southern Europe uh, for 700 years. And the turn of the tide was gunpowder. So you mix in gunpowder and guns, okay? You mix in uh, exploration uh, on the high seas, and you get what Spike Lee said about Chris, Christopher Columbus, you have a terrorist on the high seas. So every single country that European colonial went to, they brought guns and they brought the Bible, right? <laughs> you know, so you now we, we could have another conversation about, you know, how religion was used to imprison people as opposed to set people free, which is the gospel is supposed to do. But let's focus on the guns. So when 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 the explorers came to America, right, it was no different. You know, guns were brought and they came and they destroyed and they killed the Native Americans, uh, which we know as genocide to this right, day. Right. And they pushed them into almost extinction, right? So now we get to the time of slavery and guns, how they're used in order to keep, quote unquote, slaves in line. So you got, and in, in, in chain gangs, they got something called uh, the firing line, right? The gun line. You know, if you go past this point, then the guns come down and they shoot and kill you, right? So guns have been used to keep African-Americans and to terrorize African-Americans and other minority groups for decades. So guns, so guns have this much deeper deeper meaning within the culture, within, as you laid out, you know, so eloquently, groups of people dominating other groups of people. Other groups of people. It's so, so it's, it's more than just, you know, just tool in your hand 
that you can pull the trigger. You're saying that it's got a much more deeper, you know, ethos to it. And that's what we're actually starting to see play out. Like why, like why do people, why do people need to go to a demonstration and have guns with them? I mean, what, what is that about? Well, well, look, 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 when you said demonstrations of guns, all right. So, you know, when African-Americans, we protest, right? None. And we, we label nonviolent protests. You see pictures of, you know, John Lewis, Dr. King, other civil rights legends who are in our heroes who are marching and walking peacefully, right? No guns, right? But then you see the police, you see dogs, you see water hose, you see batons. All these things are used against African-Americans who are peacefully protesting, right? But when white Americans protest, especially what we've seen lately, okay, we've seen white Americans in military fatigues, bulletproof vests, Kevlar, and AR-15s. Automatic weapons. Now, we're not talking about a revolver, right? Because we understand protection, uh, protecting your property, protecting your home. You know, we understand that, right? And using weapons for self-defense and so forth. But we, who needs an AR-15, right? I mean, I, I can't think of anything I need an AR-15 for. Unless, you, if, unless you're preparing for outright, outright uh, warfare. You need an AR-15. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I think that's part of the problem. Now, white Americans have had this luxury, okay, in America of being the dominant race since its inception. And they've had the luxury of laws and public policies creating an unfair playing field to ensure that they are the dominant race in this country. And it's happened for decades and centuries. But now when you have to start incorporating and recognizing Okay, incorporating African Americans and other and non-whites, and recognizing the discriminatory laws and policies which gave you an unfair playing field, you get a little how can I say it nervous, right? Thinking that you're going to get back what you gave out. But but the examples of African Americans, especially African Americans in this country, over centuries has been we've never given back what we've received. We've always said. We want to work with you. We want to be a part of the country. We don't want to overtake you, but we want to be incorporated in what is good about America and the American dream. And that's equitable opportunity, right? So there's this fear, and it's really unfounded, right? But, Will, I go back to, you know, Sunday school, right? Vacation Bible school. Remember Joseph and his brothers? You know how his brother. Yes, I do. That's one of my favorite uh, biblical characters, <laughs> Joseph. Absolutely. Man, man, look, Joseph, his brothers uh, tried to kill him, left him for dead, and actually they thought they had killed him, right? And then all of a sudden, God promotes Joseph, and he promotes Joseph to be the second in command of the world superpower, which is Egypt at that time. And he's not only over all of the decision making as it relates to the famine during that time period. Became the man next to the man. Went from being in, in jail and enslaved to being the man, oh, man next to the man. Man, it's a beautiful story. I mean, it, look, that story can teach and preach on so many issues. But as it relates to this issue of fear, when his brothers realized who he was, okay, mm-hmm. instead of trying to kill them, he did everything to save them. But the but scripture talks about how they were fearful that Joseph's going to kill us as soon as our daddy dies, right? But he never did that. And I, th- and I think that's the same story of white Americans as it relates to African Americans and Native Americans in this country. 
They think that we're going to give them back what they gave us. But the story over and over and over again is that that is not the case. Well, it's interesting that you, you know, you say that. So just to break down where you're going, you say the gun, gunpowder to the gun, gunfire has been key to white identity in terms of its relationship with other groups of people, right? Man, and it's that's like, what is you. It's like apple pie in America, right? Right, right. And so <laughs> to allow other groups of people to get power, get access to that gun, is a risk, a threat to, you know, white dominance, to the to the to being in their position of being in the um in the totem pole, in the in the in the caste system of America, if you will. You know, it's it's interesting. I think about two instances in American history where African-Americans have had the gun in their hand. I think about those troops that came back from Europe uh, after World War II. I mean, World War I, actually, like like the Harlem Hell, Hell, uh, Hell Fighters and, and others yeah. who served, African-Americans who served in Europe, served valiantly and then came back and were subjected and attacked, you know, in the race riots because of what you just said, wanting to put them back into their place. Even when they came back looking for, as you said, justice, they didn't come back looking for retribution and looking to take up arms and overthrow the country and, and, and storm the Capitol. They came back to, to be American citizens because they had fought for their right to citizenship over in Europe, represent in the U.S. Army. Then I think about fast forwarding. That's, so that's early, you know, 1900s, 19 or yeah. so. And then I fast forward and I think about the Black Panther Party. Yes. Uh, Founded, co-founded, but by my fraternity brother, Huey P. Newton, right? Yeah. And that's the next image that you see African-Americans with guns. And and again, their whole purpose was to protect the Black community from the the onslaught that they were getting from, that the community was getting from um, the police, Police brutality, which we see mm-hmm. again, very much happening today, and they were vilified. The Black Panthers were vilified as being, you know, the number one threat to America. Why? So you're based on what you're saying. Why? Because of that image. Because of having that access to the gun. And so I wonder now. Here we are in 2021. Are we going to face a similar type of backlash? With this extreme situation of uh, uh, storming the Capitol, uh, new administration coming in, more and more uh, African-Americans becoming leaders in Congress. What's at risk to our leaders now? As you fast forward, you look at that arc of history, you fast forward. What is our risk now? Should should our leaders be taking up? Should our leaders be taking up arms and getting access to the gun? Should African-American people in the community? You're taking up arms and getting access to the gun. So, Will, you, you mentioned the Black Panthers. I want to go into the policy. See, I love legislative history because it's a history that tells exactly what happened without any filter. Now, of course, it's cumbersome. It could be boring. Uh, but when you really look into the history of the le- of legislative law and policy and, and, and the process that it went to create those, you understand the true nature and not the spin a party. So you talked about the Black Panthers, right? And I'll pay homage to the Deacons of Defense down in Bogalusa, Louisiana, mm. that defended 
you know, against the KKK and insurrection of, of, of white supremacists, right? But let's look at the Mulford Act, 1967. The Mulford Act in California, where the Republican Congressman Don Mulford signed into law by then Governor of California, Ronald Reagan, right? Mm -hmm. The bill was crafted with the goal of disarming members of the Black Panther Party who were lawfully conducting armed patrols of Oakland neighborhoods in which they later termed as cop watching. And this is because the police were given the ability to just ransack right. and do whatever they wanted on the black community, right. just like they did back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921. Right. So all this was happening, right? Now, let me read to you exactly what uh, Governor, at the time, Ronald Reagan said. He said, now also keep in mind that the NRA supported gun control. This was gun control, but it was controlling blacks who had guns. So Governor Ronald Reagan, who coincidentally presented on the Capitol line when the protesters arrived, which were the Black Panthers, commented that he saw, quote, no reason why on the street today a citizen should be carrying loaded weapons. Right. And it said that guns were a, quote, a ridiculous way to solve problems that have to be solved among people of goodwill. Now, this was Ronald Reagan on the Capitol line of California, all of a sudden, right. gun control because you saw black people lawfully carrying guns, protecting themselves against the insurrection and the wrongdoing of white people from them. As the saying goes, it ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. <laughs> <laughs> that's straight. That's straight Louisiana. You know, I'm from New York. I don't know. I don't know nothing about that. I, I guess we say. So <laughs> I guess we say, don't start. None won't be none. Right. <laughs> Don't start that will be now. But again, it shows the hypocrisy, right? It shows the absolute hypocrisy. You know, no gun control. Oh, this is America. You know, I'm having a gun. Now, black people know how to use guns. Now, oh, Lord, we need gun control. because Why do we need gun control? Because of fear, right? So we have to, we never address the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of our country as it relates to African-Americans, or what I always call when creating policy, African-Americans have always been the exception to the rule. And it should be that way when we create solutions. African-Americans should always be the exception to the rule in order to gain more than less, in order to be recognized more than less. Because we've always been, everything has been taken away from us unlawfully. We've had to do more, twice as more, uh, just to get recognized uh, as a person who should be there. And I can go on and on the 250 years of our ancestors working to build this country. And when people talk about go back to where you came from, I, I'm here. This is our country, and we built it with our blood, our sweat, our tears, our labor, and now it's time for us to get the benefits of our sacrifice for our country. Well, so, well let me ask you this, though, because you mentioned the story of Joseph, so you, you, you're coming from that the, the Christian perspective of both of us being uh, Christians, and well, I'm actually actually Judeo-Christian because at that point in time, you know, you think about that; those books right. they are the, the foundation of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Right, exactly. I mean, but I'm saying that you you talked about Sunday school and and, and preaching in Sunday school, so I'm saying you you <laughs> coming from a, coming from a Christian. My mama ran right. vacation Bible school, so I got right. So you coming from a Christian <laughs> perspective, so. Right. One of the things that I, when you talks about guns and gun control, you know, I'm a believer as 
uh, Martin Luther King was as well in nonviolence. You know, I come from a community where I saw, you know, in Brownsville, Brooklyn, where gun violence, there's, there's no, there's no end to it. And there's no, there's no real gain to it. And so I've just seen how it's ravaged the community. So, you know, I believe in nonviolent direct social action as, as Martin Luther King did in, and in my faith. And so as a Christian, it becomes a, a, a quandary, you know, as an issue in the African-American community, as you tied in the guns to history, but then how that will clash potentially with our faith. So how do you, you know, how do you reckon, reconcile that? I mean, I remember interviewing uh, Dick Gregory, the late, great mm-hmm. Dick Gregory, one of my um, most favorite interviews when I had my radio, I was doing my radio show out of Hampton, uh, Virginia. And he said to me, he told him, talked to me how, you know, Martin Luther King uh, changed his life because he showed him how having a gun in one hand and a Bible in, in another hand is contradictory. So how do you how do you reconcile that? You know, how do you reconcile that? This again, the history, well, how the gun plays out, but our need to protect ourselves, but then what our faith teaches. How do you reconcile? Well. Well, well, Will, you know, you talk about Dr. King and his philosophy, and he actually addressed the hypocrisy of mm-hmm. his white Christian brothers with a letter from Birmingham jail. Right. True. Plus, we know through history, you know, there is a hypocrisy, right, of, of what cr- true Christians should be doing and what we see with the, especially now with the evangelical church in, in modern time, you know, how they support uh, some policies that they say are Christian, but then they also support other policies that separate children right. from their parents. I mean, just do terrible, terrible things to human beings uh, while they're here on the earth. So there's a hypocrisy to it all. Now, as as it relates to, you know, reconciling those, the belief and being able to protect yourself, yeah, you should be able to protect yourself. But guns should not be used to intimidate. It shouldn't be used to cause unnecessary harm. It only should be used for protection purposes if needed, right? right? Only. So... You know, I agree with what Ronald Reagan said in theory, but it's not being, he's not applying it evenly across the board. Guns are not needed to solve any problems that goodwill individuals and humans should be able to solve. Hmm. So when we talk about equity and equality, people get fearful. White people get fearful, you know, and they want to bring out the guns because now they're like, oh no, they're going to take what's quote unquote ours. But again, through the policy, through laws, through the actions of African-Americans. We never wanted to take anything. We just simply wanted to be included. In other words, we never wanted to take the whole pie. We just wanted to be at the table to get some pie, right? right? Because, you know, in the kitchen, we made the pie. You know, in the fields, we grew, you know, the sweet potatoes to make the pie and also pick the apples. So, again, being able to come to the table uh, to have an equitable and equal access to opportunities is all that, African-Americans and other non-whites uh, and immigrants who come to this country simply want. So, so if you show up with a, to a demonstration with a, with an M16, you you, just meant you, to you're not among those reasonable minds that, uh, absolutely. That was, uh, absolutely not. Reagan was talking about. Well, so, think about it, uh, think about it, man. You know, we had to cancel one because of the pandemic, but two, 
because of gun protests. So MLK Day here in the Commonwealth of Virginia at the state capitol mm -hmm. is also gun rights day that was created by the Republican Party to go, to go up against nonviolence. So now you see, you know, African Americans participating in recognizing uh, nonviolence and having symposiums and marching peacefully, having prayer visuals and the like, you know, praying and singing, we shall overcome right. without guns. But then you have the GOP that creates this this uh, recognition of gun rights day in order to come to legislators' offices and to have a rally on the Capitol lawn uh, in order to, quote, unquote, protect our Second Amendment rights. If, you know, again, nonviolent on one hand, violent on the other. So then you when know? you look at that, so then should African-Americans embrace the legality of gun rights for the purpose of, you said, for, for self-protection, not for aggression. Yeah. Should, so should, instead of seeing it as in conflict, is there a way to see it and reconcile the two? Well, that makes sense. Well, Will, I, like I said in the very beginning, I've never had an issue with anyone owning a firearm for mm -hmm. protection, or even if you wanted to hunt, you know, with a firearm. Now, keep in mind, you know, mankind hunted for thousands of years without a, a bullet <laughs> gunpowder, <Right>. you know? <laughs> so to say that you need a gun, uh, for hunting. Well, you're not going to take you're not going to take down a deer with a you know with blowing blowing a dart through a through a uh, uh, um, Look, a straw. Well, well it, it, it was done for thousands of years before, <laughs> right? So, uh, so again, like I said, you're not going to tell me that you need one. I understand you you want to have one. I get it, right. but you don't need one for hunting, right? So the the, the other the, the other side of that is. Again, for protection, I don't have a problem with that. It's only when guns are used to intimidate. Now, mm. one thing about America is that we know how to create uh, machines to kill people. All right? I mean, we, we have... The one reason why we have the greatest military in, in the world right now is not because we have... It's, it's not just because we have men and women who serve and want to give their lives for the it's country. That killing which, power. It's that power right, to which, kill. Which, which, which I was part of the military, my father... My grandfather, you know, and I have many uncles, uh, cousins, and also aunts who are part of the U.S. military and have retired and so forth and serve valiantly. But we also have, like you said, we can kill people. I mean, we create some of the most uh, uh, unimaginable thing, ways to kill people. And, and have used it and have used it on people in Hiroshima yeah. in, in Japan, World War II. Yeah. Have We're used the it. only yeah. country, the only country that's used an atomic or nuclear weapon. We use it twice, you know, but we, you know, but, but again, it's just one of those things where uh, when you are the superpower in the world, you can do whatever you want. But, you know, we have a fledgling ideology as it relates to what is America. So I want to get back to that first question you asked about, well, the example you gave with the black Congress members. Keep in mind that there is a rule in Congress that you cannot come on the floor of Congress with a firearm. Hmm. And it was reported recently that there was an incident that's under investigation where you have Republican Congress members, white, who are coming on the floor with concealed weapons. Why are you coming on the floor of Congress with concealed weapons? Right. Why do you need guns on the floor of Congress? If you're a reasonable <laughs> mind, and if, as Reagan, what Reagan said is true, there's really, yeah. among people who have reasonable minds, there's no need to have a gun. Exactly. <laughs> there's no need to have firearms, and why would you be there? So, so in other words, you're saying that what people need to understand is that when you come to the floor of Congress 
with a concealed firearm when you come to a demonstration with a concealed firearm or with a showing a firearm. Uh, you're not uh, coming to be reasonable. You're not coming to be reasonable. You're coming to, in- Absolutely to not. intimidate. <laughs> yeah, you're coming to intimidate. Exactly. And and again, you know, you can't have a reasonable conversation with so- sitting across the table with someone with a Glock 9, you know, with an extra clip. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, you're fearful that you're going to say something that's going to upset them. Right. And we've seen that people can flip out over the smallest things in this environment. So we've got to... And as as President Biden said in his inauguration speech, we have to end this uncivil war and bring down the temperature. But the only way we can do that is that justice simply follows accountability. You got to be account. We got to hold individuals accountable and give them. And that's justice and accountability is cloaked in mercy and grace. Okay. So you have to give individuals an opportunity not only to admit they're wrong, but give them an opportunity to atone for it. Now, when a person does not want to admit they're wrong or atone for it, then, you know, we have laws in our society uh, in order to handle that, right, to take care of that. But we have to, in order to move forward as a country, we have to clothe uh, justice and accountability in grace and mercy, all right? And that's for everyone across the board. And that's really the only way we're going to really have an honest conversation not just about guns and intimidation and government and gun control, but more specifically about uh, humanity, about inequities and equality. And where do we go as a country? But, you know, there you have Congress members that are ringing the alarm, ringing the alarm about safety measures, their, their lack of safety inside of Congress. And rightfully so, we'll think about it. So then what, know, what is it? So then... Again, you 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 painted a picture about where we need to go in right. a benevolent way and, and being, you know, people who are willing to work together. But you also tapped in on the reality that you've got a lot of people in leadership that are not looking to go into that direction because Absolutely not. it's not to their advantage. They're looking to no. play on the um, the differences that exist. So in the meantime, what are people to do, you you said the congressmen are, are are concerned about their safety. What should they do, and what do you, you know, what what is being planned to do? What what is there to do at this point? Well, again, they have to actually uh, address this issue. Uh, they have to be honest about it, you know. And you know, the only way that you're going to really uh, get a grip on this is uh, you're going to have to hold honest conversations. Uh, members now are looking to have a 9-11 style panel probe into the Capitol attack. I think that's going to actually show us exactly what happened, actually show us who was involved, actually show us um, individuals who were acting to destabilize our democracy, you know, and bring them, uh, hold them accountable, right? So you got to do that, number one. That's got to happen. We got to tell the truth. We got to hold individuals accountable. And we have to have justice, right? And in doing that, we got to give an opportunity for those people to atone, right? Now, does that mean that you can atone while you're still serving in Congress? Uh, you know, if they're voters, if they're constituents, let them back in, then, then you know, that's, that's our process. But who wants to be in a district where you're voting someone in who actually worked with uh, individuals to storm the Capitol for an insurrection to overthrow the government? 
I mean, you're you're actually saying give this person a job in a company or in the government that they actually tried to o- overturn, you know, overthrow. It doesn't make any sense. So, will I think ultimately the the, the human side of it will take care of uh, this issue of not just guns, but where do we go as a country? So, I say leave it up to the voters, and uh, we'll we'll definitely see. We'll come out on the right side of history on this. That well, as we, well, as we wrap, well, the voters, among the voters are black people. And so we always yeah. want to end on identifying. So what should black people do about this issue? And I'm actually going to be right. participating in a, a virtual symposium on uh, called Sigma Self-Defense, my fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, coming up in this week on looking at uh, how to uh, de-escalate situations yeah as well as it's going to be a series that's going to address uh, gun safety and, and, and self-defense in general in all its forms. So right. I think one of the things that Black people need to do is become fully aware of the legalities and the laws and, and rights of what it means to be able to defend yourself, what it means to have a gun or not have a gun, firearm, and to understand, because you can't really make a choice about whether or not to do it unless you really fully understand what, exactly. your, what your rights are. So that's one thing that yeah. we, we absolutely got to do is, is educate and, and attend symposiums like this yeah. and become fully educated about what it means to have a gun and to protect yourself legally. What do you, what do you think, I, Eric? I agree. I, I echo that. It's about staying engaged. It's about being educated on the issue. But again... Don't just vote and think everything's fine. Stay informed, stay engaged. It's great uh, what your fraternity is doing. Other fraternities and sororities are doing the same. Uh, But we also need to have these conversations in our churches. We need to continue to have these honest conversations on shows like this, uh, LaVis and Claville. So continue to tune in. We'll continue to give you real facts, give you the law, the policy, and analyze them so that you can understand it and make an informed decision. So... For us, that's a wrap for this week on LaVise and Claville. I want to give a shout out to our producer, Ben Bailey, uh, behind the controls, keeping us nice and tight. Uh, join us again each week as we bring it straight to you. The facts from a black male perspective, talking about issues that are important to you today. And also, follow us on social media and share your favorite episode, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and our website at lavisseandclaville.com. And email us at lavisseandclaville at gmail, and we'll definitely respond to you and get back to you. Because at the end of the day, that's the way it is. We'll see you next time.